Let's open our copy of God's Word to Psalm chapter 1 for our scripture reading. Psalms chapter 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would help us to be like the righteous man who hears your word, who receives your word, and who walks uh, by, by your word. Help us not be like the foolish man that, that uh, walks in the counsel of the wicked and stands in the way of sinners. We pray that you would help us to be those who delight ourselves in your word. God, as we come to preach and to hear your word this morning, we pray that you would, you would give us a delight in that, to know that you have spoken to us in your word and that we have the ability to hear it this morning. We pray that we would have those kind of hearts as we enter into this time of worship. We do ask, Lord, for your blessing on all that we do this morning, the, the offering, the, the worship, the preaching, the fellowship. We pray that it would be, all be done for your honor and glory in a way uh, that, that is in accordance to your word and that brings glory to you. We pray this morning, Lord, even now, if there are some here this morning who do not know you, we pray that today might be the day that you draw them to yourself in a saving way. For others, Lord, who have begun to drift away from you, uh, perhaps they've been drifting for some time. We would pray this morning that, that the things that are said here, the songs that are sung, would be, uh, would be the catalyst to, to drive them back to you. Lord, we, uh, if we're left to ourselves, tend to drift away from you. So we, we ask for your help in this, uh, this morning. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, our children can be dismissed at this time for Children's Church. We praise the Lord for the reality of our union to Christ. That's what we were just singing about there. That's the way the gospel works. When you believe in Christ, you're united to him so that all of the blessings of God come to you through Jesus Christ because of him. Um, and that's, that's the wonderful reality the Apostle Paul talks about so much when he talks about us being in Christ and Christ being in us. Uh, when you stand before God on that judgment day, you, you better hope that you stand there in Christ, meaning uh, connected to him. That's the, the way of our salvation. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 3, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Um, we're going to hopefully begin a series next week on sort of Christmas-related themes. I wanted to take this week, though, uh, and speak to you from this passage because I, I believe this time of year uh, is good. Christmas and different holidays can, can be good to kind of be times that we kind of contemplate. We step back and think about where we are. Uh, it's a time where 
although sometimes we've got so much going on it's hard to slow down, but, but sometimes around this time, uh, maybe you're led to, to reflect on, on your standing with the Lord as we contemplate Christmas, we contemplate these realities. And so I want to preach from you a, a passage this morning um, that would maybe encourage you in that way. To, to think about where am I, where do I stand with the Lord? How, how is my relationship with the Lord? Um, I think we can be kind of sometimes in a bad situation where we, we have the mentality of being, well, I'm, I'm saved and safe. I'm saved and safe. So, so I'm good. I, I repented. I've, I've believed in Christ. And so now I just kind of kick it into to neutral and just glide on the, on the rest of my life into eternity. But this passage would warn us against that. So let's read this morning. Take care, brothers. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest in there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We're going to talk this morning uh, about this warning here. Take, brothers, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We're going to talk about falling away or departing from God that's what that's the warning here in the verses do you see that that's that's what we're warned to it says be be careful take care uh, it has the idea of look uh, it's, it's actually the word for look so it's just like watch out there's a danger here uh, and and so that's kind of the the tone of this text is hey you need to be careful there there is a danger uh, ahead and the danger is this the danger is that within you brothers there would be an evil unbelieving heart that would lead you to drift away or to depart or to fall away from God. Now, let me say something here because we, we want to kind of set some theological groundwork. Uh, two things that I really want to do as we look at this text. One is, first of all, we, we want to take this warning seriously about falling away from the Lord, about drifting away or departing from the living God. It's a serious warning. It, it is a warning that is meant uh, to be taken serious. It is a real threat for you here this morning who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. This is a real threat for you. And so it's something that you should heed this warning. But, but secondly, we want to just be reminded as we begin this of of the reality of sort of the sovereignty of God in, in all of this. There, there's a responsibility that you have to watch out for yourself and to continue to persevere. And then there's also the element of God watching over us. So we see in John chapter 10, verse 27, where it says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here's a statement of God's sovereignty in this and in the fact that we're his sheep and we're in, his, in God's hand and God is going to keep us. From, from that element of it, we could say that God is keeping us and he will keep us from falling away. 
We could also look at passages like Jude one twenty four that says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. That passage says that he is able to keep you from stumbling. And so we we rightly emphasize that often, that if you are saved, if you are one of God's children, that that God will keep you. He will prevent you from falling, that, that he will protect those who are his, and no one will snatch them out of his hand. So what's the, the point of this text then? Why does it warn us to take care unless unbelief would well up in our heart and lead us to fall away from God? If God is keeping us, why would a passage like this tell us to be careful and to, to watch out and not drift away, not fall away from the Lord? What's, what's the point of the text? I think it is this, as we try to bring those two truths into uh, harmony and the point is this, I think that real faith perseveres. Real faith, this, this passage is teaching us that real faith perseveres. You see, the, the reality is that some of you here this morning have made a profession of faith. You, you have professed to know Christ, and, and yet it's not a genuine and authentic faith. It, it's not something that, that is real. And so, so there is a real danger for those who are in the church and those who profess to know Christ uh, for them to be going along for a time and then to begin to drift away from the Lord. Now, the thing that we, I think, should realize is that a person who has done this was someone who had never truly believed. Look, look at verse 14 of our passage. I think it helps provide some clarifica- clarification of how this works. He says in verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. That's a present reality right now. For those who are believers, we have come to share in Christ. But there's, there's a conditionality to that. Do you see the if there? We have come to share Christ right now, a present reality, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So that's a future reality. Right now, you have come to share in Christ if you hold fast this original confession firm to the end. In other words, if you persevere. So you have salvation now, you're in Christ now, if you continue to persevere. And I think that's what this is teaching. I think that's what the Bible teaches about genuine saving faith. Genuine saving faith is a faith that does persevere. The proof that your faith is real, the the proof that you are genuinely one of God's children, that you genuinely have been saved, is in the fact that you continue to persevere into the future until the end. You have it now. It's it's reality, but it's proven, and, and that reality is borne out throughout the remainder of your life as you continue to persevere. In other words, the person who does not persevere is someone who proves ultimately that their faith was not real. So if you look at that that text and you think about the opposite, it says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. And I'm indebted to John Piper for pointing this out. If you, if you take the opposite of that, it helps you understand the, the passage a, a little bit better. But he says, if you look at the second thing, it says, if we hold fast, in other words, if we persevere, then we have come to share in Christ. So let's put on the end of that sentence, let's, let's think, if we do not hold fast, if we 
do not persevere, what does that show? That we have not come to share in Christ. Not that you, not that you did come to share in Christ, but then you lost it, that, that you were a sheep that got away from the Father, or that the one who's able to keep you from stumbling somehow didn't keep you from stumbling, but, but it proves that you never had faith in Christ. If you don't hold fast, you didn't share in Christ. Real faith perseveres. And you have an obligation then in that. I think this text is saying, watch out. You, you want to be one who perseveres in your faith. You don't want to be one who, who begins walking with the Lord, who, who begins taking steps and following the Lord, but then over time begins to drift away. That's a very dangerous thing. And what that will ultimately prove if you drift away, if you fall away from the Lord, is that your faith is not real. So although we would say there's a sovereignty of God dimension to this, there's also a personal responsibility in that you must persevere. You must continue to believe. You must overcome that evil, unbelieving heart. You must turn from that and turn to the Lord and continue to walk with him. That's the human responsibility of of this side of the coin. We could see an illustration for this in, in two disciples. There's two disciples both of them stumbled, but, but the way that they handled it was dramatically different. And in that, we see really two different realities. The first was Peter. You remember that Peter denied Christ? Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I'll never deny you. And then Peter denied him three times. But, but after the resurrection, Christ came back to Peter and he restored Peter. Peter continued to walk with the Lord. And so he repented of that sin. He turned back to the Lord. And over time, that that unbelief that was in Peter's heart did not lead him ultimately away from Christ in a once-for-all kind of way, but it was a a stumble in his life. The other disciple that I'm sure you are aware of is, is Judas. And what happened to Judas? Judas betrayed Jesus and, and sold him over. But with Judas, there, there was no restoration. It does say that he was sorry uh, uh, about his uh, sin. He felt sorrow for what he had done, but he went out and hung himself. There was no repentance. There was no coming back to Christ. There was no seeking forgiveness. There was no continued walking with the Lord. He fell away from the Lord. Now, the reality is Judas never had genuine faith. He didn't change, but his actions revealed who he really was all along. So where does this leave us? Well, there are two truths I think that we see here. One, we need to persevere. You need to persevere. It's possible for you, although you've professed faith in Christ, it's possible for you to begin to drift away from the Lord and ultimately prove that you never were one of his children. And you need to guard against that. That's what this text is. Be careful. Be careful. Watch out. Look out. This is a reality that happens in in the lives of those who profess to be Christians. So you don't want to be one of those. So so be careful. Guard your heart. Watch out for that kind of reality. The other thing I think that we can say by this is that God, we said God keeps his children, but one of the ways that God keeps his children is by warning us not to to drift away. You you know, if I'm a parent uh, that takes good care of my children, okay, we, let's just imagine that I am. Um, but, but one of the ways that I would take care of my children is by warning them. I'd say, don't go out to that street. If you go out to that street, you might get hit by a car. All right? 
So, so that warning is meant to keep them away from the street, right? And that's what this, that's what this warning does here. It's, it's a warning to us that says, hey, don't drift away. Be, be careful. And that's one of the ways that God actually keeps his children. Now, if my children start to head for that street, especially young ones uh, that don't know what they're doing, I'm going to run after them. I'm, I'm going to go get them. If we're God's children, he will keep us. He'll run after us and he'll, he'll bring us back like sheep that wander away. But one of the ways that he keeps us is by warning us against the danger of drifting away. And that's what we have in this text. So we need to be careful in this. So my concern this morning is not just that we'd be able to pass a test on, on the doctrine of eternal security or the issue of apostasy, but my, my concern in this text this morning is that we would heed this warning. I, I want you to listen to this warning, all of you, and I need to listen to this warning. And we need to be careful to see that this very real danger exists. If you've been in church very long at all, you, you've seen this. You've seen it happen. You've seen it. I've seen it happen dozens of times in, in my lifetime. How, how is it that a person gets from sort of faithfully, seemingly faithfully following the Lord to being away from God and out of church and distant from, from God all the way? You know, what I think is a reality is that almost no one, almost no one just makes a conscious, immediate choice to, be, to drop out of church and to turn away from God. It doesn't happen just like that. Like one day you just wake up and say, I'm not going back to church. I'm not following the Lord anymore. I'm just done with that. It, it, it almost never happens that way. Instead, there are steps that we take along the way. First one and then a, another. And all the, all the while, they always seem reasonable. Each step, this seems, this seems okay. This seems logical. But, but we take one step and then the next. If I were to ask you today, how, how many of you plan on walking away from the Lord? I, I, I would say probably none of you say, yes, that's, that's my plan. Yet there's very little doubt in my mind that, that some of you are already drifting from the Lord. And perhaps in the upcoming year, some of you will ultimately drift away from the Lord. Look, we, we're dealing with our church member role right now. And that's the reality of what's happened with, with our membership role. People have drifted away from the Lord. Many of them, some of them have moved on to other churches, and, and that's good. But, but for many of them, they've drifted away from the Lord. And so this reality that he warns us against is, is not something that can happen to you. It's something that can happen to you, and it's something that happens all the time, and it's something that we need to guard against. So this morning, I want us to think about what are some of the signs or what are some of the steps along the way uh, that, that kind of lead us to drift away from the Lord. You know, when they talk about strokes, sometimes they say you, you need to know the signs of a stroke because, you know, time is, time is everything. And when it comes to falling away from the Lord, we need to be wise. We, we need to know what are the signs that I'm beginning to drift away from the Lord. The first one, and this is on your, your bulletin, there are four of them, and they don't necessarily follow a logical progression, maybe a little bit, but I'll just give them to you. The first one is apathy. We're in danger. We are in danger of falling away when our love for God and his people begins to grow cold. You see in verse 13, he says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that you may not be hardened 
by the deceitfulness of sin. That's one way of describing sort of an apathy, a, a hardness of heart. We get to the place where our heart is not tender. Uh, we're not under conviction. It's just hard to the Lord. It's hard to the Bible. It's hard to the things of the Lord. It's hard to the people of the Lord. It's not tender and responsive to Scripture and to God and to God's people. It's a hard heart. We sometimes also refer to it as coldness. A person grows cold. There's an indifference there. There's, there's an apathy there. And you notice how this happens, don't you? It says, be careful because that, that you be not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The way that our hearts, our hearts are hardened so often is, is when we begin to allow sin into our lives. You see, you cannot love God and love your sin. And so this is kind of where, where we begin. We see this, I think, in Matthew 24 as well. When Jesus predicts uh, sort of the tenor or the mood of the last days, and he says this, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Why? You notice that there's a causality there. He says, because their lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness there is not lawlessness in the sense of government, but in the sense of not obeying God's law. And so because there's this sin is rampant, the, the love for God for many people will grow cold. You know, one of the greatest, the, really the greatest commandment Jesus teaches uh, is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind. So this, this is something that, that we are commanded. This is preeminent in, in the Christian life because our, our obedience to God always flows and issues forth from a love for God. And so when we begin to allow apathy or, or coldness or a hard-heartedness toward God, it, it will lead us every time away from God. And so you need to be careful this morning that you don't become apathetic. That, that word apathetic, you know what that means? It means without feeling, with, without love. For God, And this is so easy for you Christians. It's so easy for me. And this is sort of, I feel like the first step, the, the first step that we take is that we kind of get into a, a prolonged state of apathy toward God. Now, for the Christian life, all of us tend to be up and down. We all tend to be sort of on, on roller coasters. There are the mountaintop experiences where we are very close to the Lord where spiritual realities seem very weighty to us and very important, where, where we seem to have an overflowing and an abounding love for God. And then there are those times where God seems distant. He seems far away, and we, we just don't seem like God is working in our lives as he once did. Those, those are realities. But the person who is beginning to drift away from the Lord is a person who, for a prolonged period of time, begins to feel no love for the Lord, their affections for God, their affections for God's word, their, their love for God's people begins to just subside almost completely. It becomes dormant. And that's our sinful tendency. You need to be aware of that and you need to fight against that. That's the way that we all naturally are inclined to, to go. One of the things I think we need to realize when I, when I talk about a, a lack of love for, for the Lord is, is to understand this, that indifference or apathy is, is not something that 
we can kind of sometimes look at as we do as it's not that big of a deal. Like I'm just a little cold. I'm just a little indifferent. I'm a little hard to, to these spiritual truths right now. But indifference is actually a form of hatred. Indifference is often a form of, is actually a form of hatred. You know, sometimes we, we think of hatred just in terms of, of sort of rage and anger, like, I'm so mad. But, but there's a form of hatred that is very passive. It's just very cold and has no feeling and no emotion towards someone. That's actually another form of hatred. You can be angry and be ready to punch somebody in the face, or you can sit over here and say, I don't care what happens to that person. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to see them. I have no feeling toward them. That's actually a form of, of hatred. You, you see this relationally. We know that to be true. When a husband grows cold toward his wife, she, she may say, he just doesn't love me anymore. Is that true? Right. It is true. If he's, if he's acting in that cold way, if he's, if he's become apathetic and passive toward his wife, he's, he's failing to love his wife as he ought to. I heard one marriage counselor say uh, one time that, you know, actually people who are angry and fighting like cats and dogs when they come in for counseling, he says when, when they're like that, there's, there's still hope. That, that's because they, they may be angry and they got some big problems but at least they still care about each other. He said, the people that you got to worry about is the, are the people that come into the counseling office and marriages. And like, I just don't care. I have no feeling. I'm just done. That actually is almost worse than someone, someone who's angry because an angry person at least still has some feeling and some emotion involved. We see this apathy as a form of hatred in, in the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember the, the Good Samaritan? The... the the man was robbed and he was beaten and he was left on the side of the road. That's one form of hatred, the thieves who came and, and beat him and stole his, his things. But there's actually a, a second form of hatred in, in that story because there's the Levite and the priest and they come right by him. They see him and they pass by on the other side of the road. That's actually just another form of hatred, right? Because they did nothing. They saw the man lying there. They saw him beaten. They saw him dying on the side of the road. And their indifference toward that man was really just another form of hatred. The man, the good Samaritan, the one who had compassion on him, who had feeling for him and helped him was the only man who actually loved him. So the point is, is this. Our coldness and indifference, our apathy toward the Lord and his people and his worship is no small matter. It is actually a subtle form of hatred. And so you need to be on guard against that. You need to be on guard. You, you ought to have feeling for the Lord. You ought to have love for him. You ought to have emotion for him. And if you are in a prolonged state of just being indifferent to God, I, I really don't want to read the Bible. I really don't want to pray. I really don't want to go to church. I really don't want to fellowship with God's people. If you are in a prolonged state in which you are not loving the Lord as you ought, you are in danger of drifting away from the Lord. And you need to heed this text this morning. Watch out. Be careful. This is a real danger for you. So we need to watch this. What, what do we do if that's, the st if that's the case for you this morning? What, what should you do? Well, first of all, I, I would say you need to grow up. Sometimes people you know, aren't able to hold down jobs because they're so motivated by their, their feelings, right? I didn't feel like going to work, so I didn't go to work, and now I don't have a job, right? 
And so part of maturing and growing up as an individual is learning is sometimes I got to do things that I don't feel like doing. Even though in the moment there's nothing I want less to do than to go punch a clock and spend 8, 10, 12 hours in that place. I'm going to go anyway because I know that's what I'm supposed to do and that's what I need to do even though that's not what I feel like I want to do. And some of you in your spiritual life, you need to mature. You need to understand that in the moment, I'm not feeling this love for God. I'm not overflowing and bubbling with joy in the Lord. I'm not feeling that intimacy with with God. I, I do feel cold and indifferent and hard and apathetic to the Lord. But you know what? I'm going to go to church anyway. I'm going to go and sit under the preaching of the word of God because that's what I need to do. And I don't want to drift away. I don't want to fall away from the Lord. I don't feel like reading the word of God. In fact, I'm struggling even to believe that it's true as I'm reading it. But I know that that that's what I ought to do. I don't feel like praying. I'm so I have such little faith right now. I don't know that it even does any good. And and I'm distracted by my phone and all the other things that are pulling for my attention. But I'm going to pray anyway because that's what I know I ought to do. And sometimes we just have to fight through those times of, of apathy until the Lord once again warms our heart with a love for him. Then I would say this, we need to grow up, we need to mature, but we also need to get closer to God. You know, in a marriage relationship, when you begin to grow cold, you can do, go one of two ways. You can just take a step back and grow even colder, and take another step back and grow even colder. And, and over years of time, these, these are the people that you see that they come in, they've been married 20, 30, 40 years, and, and they really have no relationship because that coldness, they've never... They've never stepped in they've always just allowed that coldness to cause them to drift from their spouse and uh, instead what we need to do is we need to step in when when I'm not really feeling a lot of love for my wife and we've been fighting or maybe we just haven't even been talking what, what do we need to do we need to spend time together we need to go out on a date night we need we need to get time alone and what I find is that when we do that we begin to grow closer again. The the affection of our heart begins to warm toward each other again as we engage in conversation and we spend time doing fun things together. It draws us closer together. The same thing is true with the Lord. When we begin to feel that coldness, we can allow that coldness to let us drift away. Well, I'm just really not feeling, I'm not going to get up and pray. I should read my Bible, but I'm just so, I just don't feel the kids, there's all this, I'm going to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. I don't even know. I've been praying my whole life. I don't know what's happening. You know, we begin, and soon, if we continue that trajectory, in time, it will fall away from the Lord. Instead, what we need to do in those moments, especially in those moments, we need to step forward. We need to step toward the Lord. When you don't feel like going to church, when you don't feel like reading your Bible, when you don't feel like praying, is precisely the moment when you need to pray the most and read the Bible the most and go to church the most. And so we need to grow closer to the Lord. The second step, and I spent most of my time there is is in, on apathy, but the, the second step or the second sign of falling away from the Lord is anger. So we have apathy and then we have anger. And we would say this, we're in danger of falling away when we allow our perceived offenses toward God and others to excuse our lack of love. 
you see what happens is people get into this state of sort of being apathetic and they stay there for long enough and, and they realize this isn't really a good thing. And so what they tend to do, either knowingly or unknowingly, uh, is that they begin to look for an excuse. Like, why am I here? Why am I not going to church? Why am I not reading my Bible? Why am I not praying? And, and so they begin, to, they begin to look for excuses and reasons, and, and often it's rooted in some offense. It can be something that God has done or, or not do done. We, we can begin to blame God or become angry because some trial in our life, some circumstance that's going on, sickness, the death of a loved one, financial struggles. And so we can say, look, God just has not been providing for us. God has not been taking care of us. And so, so that's why I'm so cold. That's why I'm the way that I am. When we're in those moments, we really ought to be, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, we ought to be casting our anxiety, casting our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. But when, sometimes when we're in that cold state of apathy to the Lord, we, we enter into those trials and it just serves to drive us further away from the Lord. Trials are meant really to lead us to God, not to lead us away. We ought to be like the psalmist in Psalm 118.5, who says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Sometimes our anger is really just fueled by unbelief. You see this in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And almost always, when we, when we begin to drift away from the Lord, there's, there's unbelief there. There's doubt. And that just fuels doubt. And, and unbelief is like fuel on the fire. Well, I don't even know if this is true. I don't even know. Should I read the Bible? I don't even know that it's true. I, I don't even know that God hears my prayer. And so that's what he's saying. Be on guard against that. When, when you're seeing that tendency, when, you're, when those thoughts are in your mind, you need to be careful because that, that if, you, if left unchecked, will lead you to drift away or fall away from the living God. But not only... Do we come up with anger or offenses toward God? But often we think of offenses toward others. There, there are things that other people have, have done. Why, why am I not going to church? Why am I so far from the Lord? Well, I'm really upset that that person said this or that that person did this. And so we, we kind of justify, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm not in church. This is why I'm not walking with the Lord, because of what someone else did. But the Bible is clear about what our responsibility is. When someone offends us, what are we to do? We're to go to them and seek to be restored to them. And on top of that, we, we're to have love. 1 Peter 4, 8 says that love covers a multitude of sins. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, if anyone has a complaint against another, we are to forgive one another. So there's no excuse for the offense of someone else to keep you away from church or to keep you away from God. So just get rid of that. That is never, never in God's sight a justifiable excuse. We are to deal with it in a biblical way. It may be that it's not even a real offense and we've just dreamed this up because we want to justify our position, it may be that it is a real offense. Someone has done something wrong to you, but what that requires is you to engage biblically in this process of seeking to be restored to them. This is what happens. This is really kind of step two. We have apathy, and then we have anger, and then we have absence. We're in danger of falling away when we begin to distance ourselves from God, his people, and the means of grace he has 
provided. Pulling away from God and his people is always the wrong approach. It's never the right response to what's going on in your heart. And yet for so many of us, it's the first inclination. When I begin to drift away and I feel apathetic to the Lord and, and maybe there's a little offense there. Maybe I'm angry with God. Maybe I'm angry toward, toward others. Someone else has offended me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to stay away from God. I'm not going to be in his word and I'm not going to be in prayer. And I'm going to stay away from church. I'm not, I'm not going to be in fellowship with other believers. But it's at precisely at that moment that you need to be near to God, that you need to be near to other believers. When we pull away from God and his church, we're creating an environment in which our sin and our apathy can continue to grow and flourish. You know, cer certain living organisms, that they have to have the right environment to grow. And, and your heart has to be in the right environment to, to harden. It has to be in the right environment to continue to ferment and harden against the Lord. So you need to be careful that you don't do that. Don't make the immature mistake of thinking, well, I'm here and so I'm just going to stay away from God. I'm going to stay away from his people. You're creating the environment in which your heart can continue to harden. Do you notice what, what we're commanded to do? Look at verse 12. He says, this, that's the warning. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living of God. So that's, that's the warning. Don't, don't do that. Don't allow your heart to be hardened and to, to follow, fall away from the living God. But what are you to do in verse 13? Look at, look at your text there. Look at the Bible. Verse 13, what's the antidote to that? But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened. So what is the antidote to your heart hardening and dece the deceitfulness of sin continuing to harden your heart against God? Wh what do you do? You exhort one another. That's why the church is so important. That's why I need you all and you all need me and we all need each other because sin, do you see sin is deceitful? Sin's deceitful. So, so when you're in that condition, you're deceived. And so you need brothers and sisters who can come alongside of you and say, you know, that what they did was wrong, but, but maybe you just need to forgive them. Maybe you need to go and talk to them. Or you need a brother or sister who can come along to you and say, you know, the, the behavior that you're engaging in, that's, that's really sinful. You need to repent of that and turn back to the Lord. Or, or you know, you, you really have not been at church very much lately. You need to be in the house of the Lord. You need to be worshiping So, so don't, don't drift away. Don't fall away because of the deceitfulness of sin. Instead, come to church. Be engaged. Exhort one another. Receive exhortation. You, you know, the idea when it says to exhort one another, it has the idea that some of us need to be exhorted. And there are times when I need to be exhorted. There are times when I need to be encouraged. There are times when I need to be somebody to say, that's wrong, and you need to repent and turn away from that. But there are times when all of us need that. But do you see our, our natural tendency is that when we're in that moment, when we're apathetic and we become angry toward others or toward God, our, 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 our danger or our, our tendency is to be absent to pull back and to pull away. So if you're going to fight this, if you're going to overcome this tendency and this trajectory away from God and not fall away from God, you've got to learn to do what seems unnatural to you. 
And that is when things, when your faith is weak and when you're struggling in these ways, instead of leaning away and stepping back, lean into the word of God, lean into prayer and lean into fellowship with other believers. This is what we're called to do. God has given the church as as the means of grace in your life, brothers and sisters, to be a means of grace in your life. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So it's that same kind of encouragement to hold fast. He says, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You need to be stirred up. You need to be encouraged to persevere. And so we need one another. The final step in this hardening process is acclamation. And that is when we, when we finally just get to a state that we're so hard uh, that we have really drifted completely away from the Lord. We're in serious danger of falling away when we allow ourselves to settle into this pattern of behavior for a prolonged period of time. He says here, don't be hardened. Don't let your heart set up like concrete. Don't, don't be like clay that over time just, just gets hard. That's an unenviable position. It's a terrible condition to allow yourself to get into. Listen to the warning of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age have come. So they've had some religious experience. He's saying it's impossible for someone who's like that and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So what he's saying here, you can get to a position when you allow this process to continue to play out, where your heart becomes so hard, where you've become so cold to the Lord, that, that there really is no hope for you, humanly speaking, that you have drifted away, you are in a settled place of rebellion against God. And that's what he's warning you against in, in Hebrews chapter 3. Don't get to that place. Don't get to the place where you have allowed the deceitfulness of sin to set up and to take root and to harden in your heart like concrete and draw you away from the Lord. Well, this morning as we conclude, let, let me just say this. Look at verse 15. Look at the exhortation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. There, there's a command here. If you're here this morning and you're hearing this and that maybe the Spirit of God is bringing conviction to you that you've begun to drift away from the Lord, that you've become cold or hard toward the Lord, the command is today, look, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You have the opportunity right now to hear this message and come under the conviction of the Spirit and to repent and, and to begin to st take steps back to the Lord. You can do that or you can say, I don't know about this. I'm going to just continue in this pattern of drifting away from the Lord. He would urge you, don't, don't do that. You have some say in this process then is what he's saying. Don't harden your heart. That's a command, which means that you have the ability to stop your heart from becoming hard to the Lord. So this is what I would invite you to do. I, I invite you this morning, if that's you, if you've been drifting away from the Lord, I invite you to recommit your life to Christ. 
Not, not to get saved again. It's not that you've lost your salvation, you need to be saved again. But, but it is that you've been drifting away and you've allowed yourself to enter into a pattern of being cold and hard to the Lord. And I would just invite you this morning to say, this is where I'm going to start taking steps in the other direction by God's help and by his grace. Let me encourage you, commit yourself to daily read God's word and to pray. Pray that God will enlighten your mind and inflame your heart as you engage with his word. Pray that God will grant you greater faith and greater love for him. This is a prayer that I routinely pray for, my, pray for myself and for you as, as a congregation. Lord, strengthen my faith. It's weak. My, my faith is so weak at times. Make my faith stronger. God, give me a greater love for you. I ought to love you. I do love you. But, but sometimes my love is so weak and so cold. Will you strengthen my love? Pray that. That's a prayer that God would be delighted to answer. And then I would encourage you, commit yourself to regular attendance and worship services. One of the best ways that you can, can help, uh, help yourself not drift from the Lord is just by making Sunday morning an immovable obstacle in your schedule. You don't miss. You're, you're here. And each week, I, I tell people that Sunday mornings should be like a reset. It, it's that way for me. It's that way for me. I, I know that as I go through the week, I, I can find myself drifting. I can find my faith weakening. I can feel my love for the Lord getting smaller. But as I come back and we come back to the word of God, we worship together. We hear God's word again. We often take the, the, the ordinance of, of the Lord's Supper to remind us of what Christ has done. All of those things serve to, for me to kind of strengthen my faith and propel me back out into the week. I, I tell you, I don't know for some of you how you can continue to walk with the Lord when you are so infrequently in the house of the Lord. It would be a great struggle for me to be faithful to God if I did not have others exhorting me, if I did not come together in, in worship. So let me just encourage you to commit yourself to regular uh, attendance. And then finally, I would say this, commit yourself to deal with any unreserved, uh, unresolved personal conflict. If there's some, some anger in your heart, some, some personal conflict that is you've been using as a crutch and as an excuse to keep you away from the house of the Lord, you need to get that right. Jesus says, if your brother sins or your sister sins against you, go to them and tell him his fault, that you can resolve that. Love covers a multitude of sins. We are to love one another. And so it is no excuse for you to stay in that condition because you, you say someone has offended you. So these are some things I think that you can do to combat that apathy toward the Lord. Let me just encourage you. I'd, I'd invite you this morning as we close. If that's you and you want to recommit your life to Christ, I, I would even encourage you this morning to come forward to pray with us and to, to let the church know that, that that's you, that you've been drifting from God and, and you want to make it public that you're going to begin to, to once again take steps toward the Lord and not drift away from him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and I pray, Lord, for those here, no doubt there, there are some who have been drifting from you. Their heart has been hardening, unbelief and sin has has begun to take root in their heart and they've, they've been, become cold. Some of them are even angry toward you, angry, angry at others in the church. 
And they're using that as an excuse. God, I pray that you just break through that hardness today. We praise you for, for the reality that, that we are your sheep and that you can keep us from falling. And I pray that's what you do this morning. There are some this morning who are in the process of stumbling and falling. I pray that you'd keep them today through your spirit, that you'd bring, bring conviction to them, that you would draw them back into the fold. God, I ask that you would do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.